um, to trainings for nurses, school counselors, paraprofessionals, all the way up to mental health therapists who we train on complex tra uh, trauma levels where we go into fractures of the personality, we deal with hallucinations, and it's very, very powerful. But one thing I always say is if you want to be effective on this level, it is, it is massive that you understand this level, the things that I'm training you today. You cannot be an effective therapist dealing with complex trauma up here if you don't get the basics that I'm training, and you, uh, training today on, okay? So the, the core foundation of seed digging and how and why it works really is right here. Um, and so we're going to go into some strategies here in just a couple of minutes. Um, but I want to share a story with you uh, and something for you to kind of think and process on um, as we talk about what we need to do to help a child, to help a teenager um, get to a place to where we're pulling sad seeds out of their garden and, and sowing happy seeds instead. How do we get that child who has budding emotional symptoms or that teenager who the symptoms are budding, or the teenager who's right there and really thinks that they can harm themselves. We want to follow our safety protocols, but these principles and concepts are strategies you can immediately begin to use and implement. But think about this concept of setting a safe and secure atmosphere. We want to take those innate needs, and we want to turn it into practicality every day. We want to live it and breathe it. You know, the seven and eight needs are, I need to know that I'm loved, I'm valued, I'm needed, I'm accepted, I belong, I'm safe, and I'm secure. Children need to know that, but they also need to feel it. So in our environments, we want to do everything we can to create those atmospheres because that's, once again, putting oxygen, food, and water into their soul, into their little hearts. So setting a safe and secure atmosphere is one of the most important elements that you can do. And so how do we do that? How do you set a safe and secure atmosphere? A lot of times we think, well, they're fed. They've got food and clothes, right? They've got a warm house. They've got shelter. But if we're not connecting with our kids, if we're not, you know, actively showing them and engaging with them that they belong and that, that I care about you and that you matter, then remember the innate needs aren't being met. Safety and security there is huge. So think about a little puppy dog, um, maybe that has trauma, has been traumatized. And maybe, let's say the little puppy dog's been um, beat with a stick. And you're going down the road, and you're passing this little dog on your way to work. Well, that little dog, let me back up. Let's say you have a cell phone in your hand, and you're swinging your arms, and you're on your way to work, and here comes the puppy dog. That puppy dog may see that cell phone in your hands, and automatically think it's the stick. That's called a trauma reminder. You never know when the smile on your face, or the per perfume or cologne you're wearing can sit a child into a frenzy, and you're thinking, what in the world did I do? It's almost always not about you. You're a reminder of something deeper. The subconscious is active from way, way long ago. <laughs> the subconscious is active. So imagine that you're walking down the road and this little puppy dog sees that cell phone. He's going to do one of three things if he's triggered, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. He may attack you. Anger, come after you. He may flight. He may run down the road and run away. Or he may freeze. He may lay there and wet on himself and just shiver. Fight, flight, or freeze. 
So if I knew that every day I had to pass that little puppy dog on my way to work, and I knew that I had to figure out a way to reach that little puppy dog so that we had a way better uh, relationship, how am I going to reach that puppy dog? One of the things I need to do is I need to think about my voice and my posture. I would lower my voice and I would speak calmly. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm here with you. I'm not going to hurt you. Have you ever done that with a puppy dog before or a cat? It's okay. Same concepts for a child. Even adults who triggered are triggered. It's okay. I'm here with you. You're speaking the innate needs into their heart. You're connecting with them. That also can help that puppy dog go from to, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So we train teachers in the classroom, use a lot of that language. I'm here with you. It's okay. It may not feel okay, and I can tell you're upset, but it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. You also want to watch your posture. Because with abuse, many times the person says really mean things and is in a position of power. So if you're towering over a child in the moment of them, right, swimming, and they have no idea why they're screaming and yelling because they're just going at it, you got to talk calmly and watch your posture and your tone. I want to share a story with you about a little boy at our clinic several years ago. Um, This little boy uh, was having an absolute meltdown. He was four. He was screaming and he was yelling. Sorry. Get that out. He was screaming, yelling, and having an absolute meltdown. And um, the, I mean, the entire waiting room, it was kind of chaotic. The entire waiting room was dealing with this. And the little boy, um, he was just going at it, throwing a lot of cuss words around. Um, I can tell you what my parents, who are very old school, would have said that little boy needed. Um, From the outside looking in, he needed some good old-fashioned disciplines, what my parents would have said. But um, stepping back, remember, there's always a reason for behaviors. He also had almost destroyed the bathroom. He had pulled pictures down. He was, toilet paper was everywhere, water was everywhere. So a few days later in a counseling session, he was able to put into words what was happening, which was kind of miraculous in itself because little four-year-olds cannot always say what they're thinking. But he was able to say that day that he looked down the hallway and he saw the psychiatrist who had a ponytail. He said he saw the doctor who had a ponytail. And it reminded him of his abuser. So what did he do? Fight, flight, or freeze. I'll kill you before you hurt me again. You see, he wasn't thinking in that moment. Oxygen was not flowing like it needed to flow. He was in survival mode. Fight, flight, or freeze. So once again, we want to make sure that how we respond to a child or a teenager when they're in crisis we, won't, we don't want to throw fuel on the fire or oil, oil on the fire. Breathe, calm down. You may have to take them to a cool-down spot, and we'll talk about some of that later, but your tone and your posture are a big deal. Another just a little one that is, good, uh, is, is a good thing to do is I need statements because many times when children are so used to being yelled at or maybe traumatized, it's like they have a, an understood... Uh, You, the finger in the forehead, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. 
So sometimes just changing your verbiage to, I need for you to please come here. I need for you just to sit down for a few minutes while mommy does this. I need for you to please just stay in your seat while we review for this test. I need is huge. It can actually de-escalate that word right there. I need that phrase as opposed to you can really help. So another um, thing, use safety and security words often. Help them get out of trauma mode and be present in the moment with you. Now, I want to make sure I say that it's important that if you have a child who has mental health issues and addictions and is struggling, that you get them the appropriate help. They need to go to a therapist. They need therapy. They need, they need professional help. However, if all of you are partnering with us, right, if all of us are doing our, our, what we can bring to the table, we're going to help these kids heal at a lot, a lot faster rate. I always say children, especially in the school systems, they do not always come with nice little picket fence gardens. Some of them have fields and fields and fields of weeds when they come to the school system at four years old. It's going to take every one of us, you guys, in this mental health crisis to help these kids heal. We need you. As a mental health therapist, I need you. We need you. So here are some of the words we use, safety and security words. You are safe in this classroom with me or at home. You're safe here with me. Because a lot of times if they're frantic, right, you're safe here with me. I got you. I got you. I'm here with you. That's that connection word. You're not alone. I'm here with you. That's important. Um, Helping a child hear that, especially even with, like, homework, when their brain is on, they're overwhelmed, and this is too hard, and I can't do it. I'll do it with you. I'm here with you. We'll do it together. Think about in your life when you felt alone and that no one was there. Just having somebody beside you, right beside you, could make all the difference in the world so you didn't feel like you were battling it alone. How much more so a child who has an underdeveloped brain, right? And they're young, and they're still learning and growing. Another one is, it may not feel okay right now, but it's going to be okay. I use that one a lot. I can see you're really angry, and it may not feel okay right now, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm throwing the lifeline and reminding them of the light at the end of the tunnel, and that might not be until they're 18 years old. Remember, we've talked about that, but I'm not going to stop throwing that lifeline. I'm going to throw it every chance I get because survival mode is way better than hopeless mode. I'd rather them be swimming. What is it? Is it Dory on Nemo? Just keep swimming. I would rather them keep swimming than give up because we've talked about hopelessness and what that does. Speak and model the seven innate needs daily. This is so powerful and so important. I'm going to share a little story with you about this. Um, and the importance of how children respond to us. You may not realize they're responding, but they're responding. They'll respond to you. They'll respond to love. They'll respond to the innate needs. Um, Several years ago, I had a, a friend who was a mental health therapist, and she was working with a young man in a school district, and um, she was doing seed digging with him. And I remember her calling and saying, 
Shauna, I can't find the seed. I don't, I don't know what the seed is. Can you come and help me? So I went to her school to help train um, the technique of seed digging. And some very interesting things happened at the beginning of the session that were very, very key. Um, when I got there, you have to remember, this, this young man, maybe he was 14 or 15, he didn't know me, right? He had no, need, no reason to, to like or trust me. But because the therapist had a connection and a relationship with him, he also allowed me to work with him. And at the beginning of the session, in a nutshell, the therapist was basically speaking to his heart. She was saying things like, Shauna, he's such a good kid. Like, he really is a good boy, but he's in trouble all the time. You know, and she starts listing the things. He's got failing grades. He doesn't listen to his teachers. He tells them he doesn't care. He's in trouble all the time. You know, he's, he's doing this. He, she's just going through the list. And it was interesting, as she was saying this, the young man was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> like, he, like, okay, because she had taken shame away. You know, it was just matter of fact. He's a good kid, but he keeps doing these things to get him in trouble. And I just want to find something to motivate him. Can you help me find something to motivate him? So because, once again, she trusted me, he allowed me to dig with him and work with him. And as we started the process, we painted the garden analogy and helped him understand there was nothing wrong with him. His garden was amazing. He just had weeds. Within a few minutes, this young man paints this horrific scene of when he was around four years old. And he said he just remembered um, being home one day, and his dad he came home from school, and he was watching his dad in a drunken rage scream and yell at his mom, and there was, they were in this huge fight. And his dad tried to hit his mom but missed and instead hit his brother. And his brother started bleeding. And his mom's over here screaming, and this little boy looks at this situation at four years old and says, I have to fix this. You see, children are just superheroes in tiny bodies with underdeveloped brains. They're just like us. They want to fix and save the world, but they do not have the capacity to do it, so they do it in their own way. So how did he try to fix it? He runs over to his brother, and he tries to make him feel better, and he's still crying. And then he runs over to his mom, and he tries to make her feel better. And at this point, she's screaming and talking about how she's, never, she's going to leave and never come back. He goes to school and, does the, and tries harder at school. He comes home, and he cleans his room. What was that little boy doing? Trying to fix it in the only way he knew how. Not long after that, his mom leaves. And he says he's, you know, what, 14, 15 years old, and he's seen his mom a handful of times since that day. Obviously, she didn't care about me. See, he gets planted. No one cares about me. And then he says that I'm a failure. Nothing I did Nothing I did helped save my family or stop this. So I'm a failure. Now let me show you how that seed of being a failure begins to play out in a person's life. When you go to school, why would you do your homework? If you think your family was destroyed and left all because of you, why would you do your homework? He lived with that every day, that it was all his fault. So when the teachers would tell him stuff, who cares? It don't matter, right? You see, all these behaviors that played out from the outside looking in looks like we have a defiant, rotten young man. But when you stop and you put on the lens of love, 
and take down the, the judgment lens, we begin to see a beautiful little heart who just wanted to fix and save the world. Now, at the end of the session, something happened that was a huge epiphany for me. At the end of the session, as we kind of processed through this and talked through it, the therapist said, she looked at him and she said, you know, I, I don't understand. She said, you know, um, you, you, you say all the time that you don't care, you don't do what the teachers ask you to do, but for me, she said, you're the first one to pick the chairs up in the after-school program. You're the first one to come and ask if I can, you know, if you can sweep the floor. Like, you're always doing things for me. I don't understand. You won't do it for them, but you do it for me. And in that moment, I got it. You see, light responds to light. Love responds to love. Think about a little flower or a tree that grows crooked. Have you ever seen a tree grow around the shadows on the side of a cliff to get to the sun? It's innately inside nature. It's also innately inside of us. Do we not gravitate to people who make us feel loved and important that we belong? And you see, that therapist was not only an amazing human, but she was an amazing therapist, and she got that. And that young man was responding to her. She would do things for the therapist, or he would do things for the therapist. So that was one big thing I saw that day. Another thing I saw was something that began to unfold. I began to see this more and more. I thought, you know, this young man, the the whole time he was telling us what the seeds on his heart were. He was showing us, who cares? It don't matter. No one cares. I don't care. What do you think he was telling us? No one cares about me. It's called a projection, a defense mechanism. No one cares about me. So he was playing it out in his environment. So I realized if we'll start tuning our eyes and our ears in, kids are actually telling us what their seeds are if we'll pay attention. Have you ever seen a bully say, you're stupid and no one loves you? What do you think their seeds are? Every time. Big difference between pride and confidence. When you get a a child in a session that's calling names, I'll show you every time where it goes back to a memory where they believe that about themselves. Every time. Every time. So think about your children and your teens who say things like, you don't care. No one wants to be my friend. No one loves me. What do you think their seeds are? It's right in front of us, isn't it? Right in front of us. They're telling us. We just have to tune in. So when they do that, use the seven and eight needs as your guide. And we're going to go into, we're going to do a little exercise at the end um, with the seven and eight needs, but you actually have a copy of the seven and eight needs. You want to be intentional. You want to sow those happy seeds into that child's heart. Do the opposite. So I tell, I train teachers, if you're a teacher and you're at school and you have a kid that says, no one likes me, no, one's, no one loves me, you know, do the opposite. Take sticky notes and tell them, I like you. I think you're a great kid. If you have a, a student that says, I'm dumb, you are so smart. And be intentional. Take that language to people in that child's environment. Go to the counselor. Go to someone else and say, listen, every time you see this young man, I want you to tell him that you care about him and that he's important. Be intentional with your words and actions. Now, how cool would that be if everyone in this child's environment was sowing those happy seeds of love into his heart? You cannot sow enough love into a person's heart. I promise you, you can't. Because once it fills the heart, it will overflow. 
to others. That's how we were made. The more I know who I am, the more I have to give. I can give on an empty tank, a lot of us do, but eventually that tank runs dry. The more we fill our heart and those children's hearts with happy, positive seeds, the more it will flow. And that's really, really, really important. Um, So the seven and eight needs, just some practical little things. Uh, uh, Several school districts across the state have shared with me that they'll have students stand up, they'll do the pledge, then they'll put their hand over their heart and say, I am loved, I am valuable, I am needed, I am accepted, I belong here, I am safe here, and no matter how bad things seem, somehow, some way, it can and it will be okay. Every morning when they go to school. I've had teachers send me videos where they do little handshakes to the seven and eight needs, you know, little fun things. Get it into their heart. I tell parents, when you have teenagers who are defiant and they tell you all the time, you don't care about me, take a sticky note and put it on the back of the toilet seat in the morning. I care about you. You're amazing. You know, be creative and silly. Write notes. Put, put notes on their pillow at night. And be intentional. You belong in this family. When you have dinner, you belong here. You're special. We value you. We adore you. Every chance you get. And get creative with it. You know? It's really, really true. The more love we sow in their heart, the more that um, flowers will be produced and the more that they will overflow. Um, Recess. Here's another one. I tell teachers this all the time. Have recess with a student. Or go sit by them at recess. If they're not too old and it doesn't embarrass them, right? That's a great one. I was a teacher once. You know, I didn't always want to give up uh, my lunches. You know, I liked my sacred lunchtime. But as a teacher, go have lunch with a student. Bring them to your classroom. What are you conveying? You're conveying that you're valuable and you're important. And I want to learn a little bit about you. To the child who's lost in a book at recess, go sit by them. Make them connect with you. Even though they may act like they don't want it, believe me, their heart longs for it. Just like a child who's starving for food. They may not know, they may not eat much, but their heart, I mean, their body needs it. We want to be intentional. Here's another one. Separate the garden from the weeds. Let me back up. We're going to do our little activity again. Pull your application activity out again. And we're going to go to number three. So on your little stick figure, I want you to look at the heart where number three is, and I want you to think about what does that child need? If the sad seeds that you wrote in number two were, I don't belong or no one loves me, then what do you think they need in their heart? Pretty easy, huh? You belong. You are loved. So on number three... Fill the heart with positive seeds. And once you fill the heart with the positive seed that is the opposite of that negative seed, cross out the sad seeds. Just put a big X through it. And here are some examples. I am loved. I am valuable. I belong. I am safe. I am needed. I am accepted. Everything will be okay one day. 
write down what they need. And I, and I also want to make sure I say, if you don't know what sad seed that child has in their heart, put all seven in there. Sometimes we don't know. You may not know what the seed is. Just be intentional and flood them with all seven every chance you get. So I'll take just a, a minute or two and let you guys fill that in. And once you do that, then go to number four. And I want you to think about, if that child had that happy seed, that they belong, or that they are needed, what flowers would grow from that? And put that on number four. Would they be more friendly, helpful, kind, empathetic, respectful? All right, and we're not going to complete number five right now, but I want to share with you real quick on number five, when you leave here today or before you leave here today or tonight when you're sitting back and processing and reflecting, um, number five is what seed digging strategy can you begin to implement into that child's heart? After you leave here today, you know, typically what happens is, you know, we think in our minds we want to accomplish it all. We want to do all of this right now. This is what we, we, want to, we want to try. Just take one thing. Because as humans, you know, we, we can't do it all. Take one thing, one small strategy that you can begin. You know, Rome wasn't built overnight. You know, children do not have weeds that grow overnight. So some of this is a process and redoing your language and learning how to, how to do it a little bit differently. So just try one um, or take that hard student, that example, if you're still around that student or that child, take one child who's struggling and start to implement this and don't give up. It may take a few weeks before you see change, but don't give up.
keep at it. Keep trying. So let's go to um, just a couple more things, and we're, we're getting close to finishing up. So here is something that's also very, very important to remember as a core foundation of seed digging. We want to always separate the garden from the weeds when disciplining. And as a societal norm, um, this is not a societal norm. We tend to discipline based on the person as opposed to the problem. Let me give you an example. Um, I'll never forget when um, my little girl was, uh, my oldest daughter was about two, and she was at a daycare, a little preschool. And she came home from school one day, and she had this list. And she had her little checkbox, and her name is Lily. And so she said, Lily bad, you know, Katie good, you know, Sarah bad. She just had her little checklist. And of course, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lily, you're not bad, honey. You're not bad. You're an awesome little girl. Why would you, why would you think you're bad? And she said, I didn't get a tootsie today. Children's brains. They have a hard time separating who they are from their behaviors. I'm bad, I must not be good. Or if I'm not good today, I must be bad. We have to be very careful with that. Think about our society and how quick we are to judge. You're lazy if you don't work. You're bad if you do bad things. You're a liar because you told a lie. The societal norm is we identify people based on their weeds. And that is a core problem. We have to change. So we want to address the heart, speak to the garden, and address the behaviors, not the person. Your heart is kind and loving. Let's teach your hands to be kind like your heart. Um, I'll give you another example of this. Think about your famous actors and actresses who are beautiful, successful, right? They have these amazing careers. But when the beauty fades and their acting career fades, and they're not as famous or successful as they once were, what sometimes happens? Because my career is over, my life is over. How many famous people have become prey or a victim to suicide? We've got a root identity in who they are, and the seven and eight needs is who they are. You are loved. You are valuable. Your heart is so amazing and so kind. Now, your hands, on the other hand, we got to teach them a thing or two. I'll never forget my little one, my other little girl, Bella, when she was about four or five. I'll never forget, we were teaching her this, and uh, she smacked her sissy upside the head or did something. So she had to go sit and time out. Because discipline and consequences are important. They're very important. We still have to discipline. But how we discipline is very important. So she had to go to her room. And we told her, you got to teach your hands. You know, your heart is kind. you got to teach your hands to be kind like your heart. When I walked past the bedroom, she was doing this. I want her to know who she is. We can work on those behaviors, but that's not who you are. So you see how, once again, at the core of everything we do, it's really just simple little things we can do. It's not rocket science, but we want to begin to implement. It's a movement. We're not going to see this happen overnight, but each time every one of us in this room, each of us get this, it's one step forward. And we can change these societal norms 
of judgment. We need to. Here are some examples. You are a good boy. Let's teach your hands to be kind like your heart. You're a respectful young lady. Let's use words that are kind and as respectful as you. You're an honest young man. Please use truthful words to reflect the honorable man that you are. Now, I get it as a parent and as a former teacher and as a counselor. It's not always this nice and mamby-pamby world. I know it's not always that easy to stop and say kind things back. Hence, I told you I've sowed sad seeds in my kids' lives before because we're human. But it's something we have to practice. We got to try. I'll never forget once when my daughter was uh, nine. Oh, she was escalated, and I was escalated. And it really was like she was speaking Russian and I was speaking Chinese. We were not communicating. And she was, t- and, and the, you know, think about it. The more frustrated you get if you were in another country and they're not understanding, you're going to get loud. Your tone's going to get rude. So she's getting loud with me, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, my mommy and daddy were here. <laughs> you know, I'm escalated. Like, you don't talk to me that way. But I'll never forget just stepping back and saying, okay, listen, Lily, I've never raised a nine-year-old before. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, I don't know how to communicate with your heart. I don't always know what I'm doing. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to learn to speak your heart's language, but I don't always know. Why don't you go to your room and cool down for a few minutes, and I'll cool down before you get in trouble and mommy explodes. Why don't you go to your room and cool down and write me a letter? Try to write out what you're thinking. Because, you know, children need to be respected just like we do. We tend to think that we can respect each other, and I would never talk to my boss that way or my coworker. But we talk to our kids that way sometimes. Don't beat yourselves up if you have. We probably all have. We're human. When we learn better, we do better, right? But sometimes they just need somebody to say, I hear you, and you're not hearing anything I'm saying, Mommy. No, Mommy doesn't know your language right now, not your own language, but I'm trying. And I'm going to keep trying until I figure it out. Sometimes kids just need to hear that. All right. And number five, give them a safe way to express their feelings when they're upset. This is very important. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but all that anger and all that sadness and all that frustration is going to come out. Trust me, it's going to come out. Or it'll implode on the person. We will either explode or we will implode. We'll hurt ourselves or we'll hurt others. We've got to find safe ways to express ourselves until we can get the seeds out. It's literally like a boiling pot of water. That's why in my counseling sessions I'll say, you can say whatever you need to say in here. Let your heart speak because it's safe in here. Now you say that at home, you're probably going to get in big trouble, you know. But Miss Shauna's office, I want your heart to find a way to speak Maybe you didn't know how to speak during that moment when someone was hurting you. But in here, you can say what your little heart needs to say. Get it out. Get it out, right? Take the boiling, the lid off of the boiling pot of water and give them a safe way to express themselves. So in the class, I'm going to share some things you can do in a classroom setting, but also at home, parents. Um, One thing is the emotion toolbox. Have a little pencil box and put some Play-Doh in there, some markers, Um, some paper, some crayons, pop cleaners, just creative little things that you can put in there. And when you see the volcano getting ready to explode, right, say, listen, why don't you go breathe for a little bit? I can see you're really frustrated. 
And before you say something else that's going to get you in big trouble, why don't you go get your little emotion toolbox? And you can make that Play-Doh as yucky, you know, make it as angry as you need. You can squeeze it. You can cut it right down on a piece of paper. You can wad that piece of paper up. Give them a safe way to get it out because it's going to come out if you don't. That's one thing, the emotion toolbox. Another thing is a place to go. Have a safe place to go cool down. Change from punishment to cool down. You're valuable and you have a voice, and I know you have something important to say, but I don't, I don't really know what it is right now. And, and the tone is going to get you in trouble, you know? So why don't you just go breathe for a little bit and let's try again. Once again, this doesn't always happen overnight, but we take steps towards this. Another thing is I'm going to talk about celebrating every small victory. That's a very, very um, important thing to remember. Um, I'll never forget a teacher several years ago who I was working with her in, in uh, an alternate uh, in, uh, school environment, alt-ed students, and, and she, oh my goodness, she had really had put her heart and soul into this little classroom, and, and she was um, crying, and she's like, listen, I have tried some of these things. I have tried. I really have. And she said, I've tried several other things. But she said, nothing is working. She said, I literally have this little boy who three days a week, he comes to school, and he's soaring, and he's doing amazing. I mean, like, he's soaring in math. He's so smart. But there's one or two days where he'll literally come to school and sit on the ground and won't get up, and we can't even go to lunch. She said, nothing is working. I cannot. I'm not making headway with this little boy. And, you know, in that moment... Because my eyes had changed. Years ago, I probably wouldn't have seen this. But I said to her, I, I validated that frustration and how hard that is. Because as a teacher, yes, our teachers are expected to do a lot. I mean, now they're, they're parents, they're counselors, they're principals. I mean, they have to do so much in a classroom because we have traumatized kids. Very traumatized kids. So I told her, it has to be so hard. Yes, and you just want to teach the other kids, but you can't because of this little boy. But then I said to her, but I want to tell you what I just heard when you shared that with me. Don't forget your value and what you really are doing for that little boy. Because on three days a week, he's coming and he's soaring in math. And he's doing better than anyone in the class. You don't have the variables of what happened the night before. On that day that he comes and he has a meltdown. But at least three days that little boy's doing awesome. And it's probably because of you and because of what you're doing. Celebrate every small victory. And don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we as parents, as teachers, as counselors, sometimes we have to see the light at the end of the tunnel because we're in survival mode. It's hard sometimes. But don't lose sight of the light at the end of the tunnel. And one last story I want to share with you um, was a story that um, a friend shared with me years ago about when he was a principal. And he said one day he came to school and he said, he was at school and he said the school counselor called him and said, you have got to come and read this journal entry by this little seventh grade girl. You have got to read what she wrote. And she had written about her English teacher and as far as anyone knew, the English teacher really didn't do anything spectacular. You know, he wasn't that teacher you think of when you think of the high school. But one thing he did do and make a point to do every day was he acknowledged every child who walked through his classroom. 
when the guys walked through his classroom, you know, he'd rough house and, and he'd make eye contact with them and he'd look at them as they walked through the door and say, how are you today? And the girls, you know, he'd pat them on the shoulders. They'd walk through the classroom. He'd make eye contact and he'd say, how are you today? Day in and day out. That's what he did. And this little seventh grade girl wrote in, the, in her journal that on four different occasions she had plans of going home and killing herself. The only reason she didn't was because she knew her English teacher would miss me. She knew her English teacher would miss her. Once again, don't let go of the fact that every tiny seed that we sow has powerful, powerful effects. I know sad seeds have devastating and powerful effects too, but I can't tell you how many times in counseling sessions I have seen where literally one happy seed sown, it was like pulled a child out of the water, one, one positive thing that was said and changed their life. So I just happen to believe the light is way greater than the darkness. And when every one of us remember who we are and we use our hands to be the hands of love and the hands of light, we will change our world. I believe that. And we will stop the, the statistics of suicide. Okay? One last thing we're going to do, and then we are going to wrap up. I want everybody to pull out the last two pages of the seven and eight needs. Um, my friend um, from Southern Arkansas, Nanette Darden in El Dorado School District, she actually created this. She's a seed digging professional, and she actually created something similar to where she would put children's names on the seven and eight needs at school and hand it to them, you know, just to let them know that day if they were having a bad day. I thought that was pretty awesome. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about that student or a child. The student you did the little activity with or a child, one of your own children, maybe all of your children, or a child in class if you're a teacher or a counselor, I want you to think about that child who needs this the most right now. And I want you to put their name up there. Or a code name if it's a confidential thing. Put their name up there. Take this back with you and give it to them. Send a text message tonight to somebody who needs to know that they're important and that they're loved. Pick up the phone and make a call that you've wanted to make for a long time. And, you know, life gets hard sometimes and we forget. Or we just don't have time. Okay? And the last page is for you. I want you to put your name on this piece of paper. And I want you to put your hand over your heart and repeat after me. Only instead of saying you, you're going to say I. I am loved. I am valuable. I am needed. I am accepted. I belong here. I have a purpose. And no matter how bad things seem, Somehow, some way, it can and it will be okay. Awesome. You guys did a great job. (laughs) 
I'm going to say one quick thing, and then I guess turn it over to Alan. Um, if, those, if any of you are interested in seed digging and going through trainings, I know Grace Fellowship is going to use a lot of the seed digging trainings um, and more, go in more in-depth with it. Um, if you're interested, you can reach out to us. Our website is seeddigging.com, or you can email us at info at seeddigging.com. And um, we can give you information. We do trainings for school districts. We do trainings for therapists, counselors. We have several different layers of training um, because we believe there's an appropriate training for everyone. So anyways, you guys have been amazing. Thank you for coming today. I appreciate you so much. So I think she deserves a standing ovation, really. Uh, I really do. Shauna, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, big deal. It's a big deal. I was, uh, thank you each for coming. I believe that the 100 people here, or however many we have, it's a little more than that, I think, uh, represents 1,000. And every one of you are a hero. And what God's going to do here in this place, and I believe this is like a pilot program for us too, is Grace Fellowship. We're going through Hearst training as a group here, the people that want to be involved, because we want everybody to have the foundations of seed digging, the way of seeing themselves and seeing other people. We also want a team of people that can help when there's emergencies, right? When things happen, and uh, we're going to be training a team of people here to do that. And if you're at Grace Fellowship, there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. I want you to sign up if you want to be a part of that team. If you want to, in any way, maybe you want to become a special and learn how to pray and minister to people and see digging, or maybe you just want to assist. Whatever you want to do, we need help. So Shauna has donated her time to this today, and uh, it's just a big deal. And so uh, you do, you can contact her through seeddigging.com and, uh, and talk to her right now for a few minutes. And the training is free at seeddigging.com. They can watch this actually through the Department of Education. Oh, that is true. There's a video training on at seeddigging.com, which is free, that does this. So you can, everybody can watch it. And if you're a teacher, you can get CEUs for watching it online and, and doing the paperwork. So uh, thank you for coming. Blessings, guys, and thank you, Shauna.